don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will this not morning. pursue you. This clip, but if you don't, very popular in the world. A movie where a you. retired CIA operative you. goes on a violent quest violent. to get back his daughter. He doesn't allow the governing authorities to serve in their God-given capacity. He doesn't pull back. He doesn't think straight. He doesn't accept that God will do what is right. He takes everything into his own hands. He runs with the vengeful spirit, hurting and even killing everyone who gets in his way. This is a character who overcomes evil with evil. And the truth is, outside of the mercies of God, this could be our temptation. Even as Christians, we suppress the truth at times and about our new nature in Christ, and we, in our sin, long to go back to Egypt, to our old ways, there's something inherently in us that loves this type of attitude, right? The sinful, evil attitude of taking vengeance for ourselves. How many of you guys, while watching this, this clip here, were excited? Were a little excited. There was something in you that was like, go get that guy, right? Come on, soldier. Get that Get your daughter back, and just for the fun of it, make the enemy pay. Leave a wreckage. Leave a wreckage behind you as you go on your mission to find your daughter. Our secular entertainment, from movies to songs, they're filled. They're filled with this spirit of vengeance. Go ahead. Make my day. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Even Rocky Balboa, after Apollo Creed was killed in the ring by Ivan Drago, he looks up at that Russian with vengeance, right? From Bronson's Death Wish to Russell Crowe's Gladiator, the world loves to retaliate. The world loves to defeat evil with evil. We love to watch it, we love to talk about it, and we love to carry it out. And you know what, guys? We deserve God's wrath for it. Actually, we deserve God's vengeance for acting out in heart or deed, such a vengeful disposition. But I have good news for you guys this morning. Surprise, surprise, right? I have God's inerrant, holy, living word telling us today that those who are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, do not have to live this way. 
as Christians, we don't have to be part of that worldly lifestyle. On the contrary, we are called to love everyone, to seek peace with everyone, including our enemies. As we have learned in Romans 6, we have been buried with Christ. We have been raised up to the glory of the Father to die daily to sinful inclinations. Yes, we are murderers. Yes, we're soldiers with a weapon. But our weapon is the gospel. And our target that we destroy is our sinful inclinations, our fleshly desires that tempt us to have that spirit of retaliation. Church, because of God's mercies that we have learned about from chapters 1 through 11, carried out by God's electing, loving, powerful grace, we have been given over, we, given over, we've, we gave ourselves over to God as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is our spiritual worship. Hence, the theme of our message this morning, sacrificial love, Grounded in the gospel, we'll seek peace with everyone, including our enemies. For blessed are the peacemakers. Paul starts this letter off reminding us that we are slaves to Christ. We follow the Lord Jesus Christ who said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the merciful. Turn the other cheek. Love your neighbor as yourself. We follow the one who on the cross looked straight at his enemy's eyes, called upon the Father with these forgiving words. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Church, we ought, we ought to never, ever, no matter what, avenge ourselves. Avenge ourselves. On the contrary, our love ought to be generous, sincere to all people. And instead of having this retaliating spirit, we are called to do what God did for us. For what did he, we learn in Romans 5.8? For while we were what? Yet sinners. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We rebelled against God for years. For years, blasphemed his name, wasted years of that precious, precious life that God has given us for his glory and our, our ultimate joy. And even now, although we're growing in Christ, hopefully, right? Progressing, being sanctified progressively, there's not one second, not one second of our day that we obey his greatest commandment to love him and love others with all, all our heart, soul, all our mind, all our strength. And he is quick. Is he quick? Let me ask you guys something. Is he quick? Is God quick to retaliate us? Does he pour out his judgment on us? As Christians, does he try to hurt us with his righteous anger? No. Why? Because while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation anymore for us, for those who are in Christ Jesus. So why would we try to condemn others, right? No condemnation for us. Why would we try to condemn others? For blessed are the peacemakers. We will, we will seek peace with everyone including our enemies, by God's grace. So this morning, I want to give you guys four practical applications and one glorious result, and it's all centered on our call to be peacemakers, hence the acronym of today's five-point sermon, PEACE. 
We got P for pullback, E for examine, A for accept, C for contribute, and E for evil defeated. First thing we do, okay, when we're attacked by the enemy, just think of it right now, right? Somebody attacks you, they're, they're slandering you, they're pushing back, they do something wrong against you. The first thing we do is we pull back, as our first point states, living sacrifices. That's what we are, right? That's what we profess to be, living sacrifices. Seeking peace ought to pull back when their enemy attacks. Notice verses 17a, 19a, and 21a. Verse 17 says, repay no one evil for evil. Verse 19 says, beloved, never avenge yourselves. Verse 21 says, do not overcome, be overcome by evil. So here we are. We're being attacked by the world. We learned in verse 14 weeks back to treat, how to treat each other, right? To have genuine love. Remember that? To have genuine love that has been poured out on us from the Father. To outdo one another in honor. To bless those who mistreat us. Now Paul, he goes a step further here in verse 17. We are challenged to give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. In 18, he says, live peaceable with all. Church, we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves, right? And who are our neighbors? Everyone. Everyone's our neighbor, right? Sacrificial love seeks peace with everyone, including our enemies. Paul now instructs us here on how to react to the world's hostility. Bottom line, how to react to the world's evil, right? How to, how to react to the world's opposing spirit to what is good. That's basically what the evil is here, Satan's ultimate nature, right? The sinful actions that flow out of self-interest now, right? That's sin, self-interest now that pastor talks about. That angry heart, that angry heart, those inclinations are poured out on us by our enemy, by those who appear to, to hate God. They appear to hate God and his people. What does Romans 1 tell us about this evil that comes from within? What could we be facing here? We might see forms of thievery, murder, coveting. We might experience deceit, slander, uh, whatever it is, it isn't good. And we should have a biblical hate, a biblical hate towards it, to use the language of verse 9. By the power of God's Spirit, because of our new life in Christ, by the mercies of God, we slay it, we fight it, we overcome it, as verse 21 says, with good, with genuine, God-given love. As Paul clearly states, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in verse 17, 19, and 21, when wronged, it is never right to seek vengeance. Never right. Church, Paul cannot be any clearer about this. We will debate over eschatology. We will pull our hairs out of our head when trying to figure out deep salvific truths of Calvinism and Arminianism and Christology, but there's no need for family debate here. 
Not in this area. No one never repays evil for evil, takes vengeance. We ought and we can, we can live as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, to pull back every time we are attacked by evil. The Bible tells us this morning, right, 2021, living in a country where the hostility towards Christians is increasing. Family members are attacking us because of our political beliefs that come from our biblical principles. We are being slandered, lied to. Our liberties are being taken away incrementally. It is as Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, you will be hated by everyone because of my name. He also added, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So we should not be surprised by this hostility that we face. And I know we're tempted to fight back with vengeance at times, right? We are tempted to fall into that that worldly mentality, that, that evil mentality, but God has spoken to us through his holy Bible, his word this morning, repay no one evil. Never avenge yourself. Do not be overcome by evil. No one, never. Sacrificial love will seek peace with our enemies. Blessed are the peacemakers. We pull back when the enemy attacks. Paul's not saying anything new here, right? God has always commanded us to pull back when being personally attacked, not to repay evil for evil. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, verse 22, do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Proverbs 24, 29, do not say, I will do it to him as he has done to me. I will pay back the man for what he has done. And of course, our Lord Jesus Christ, he modeled this perfectly. The Word made flesh, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 2.23. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself who judges justly. This call to lay down our lives for our enemies, right? If it goes against that, that self-centered, that self-preserving, that, that comfort-seeking, those comfort-seeking desires that we have at times, right? But make no mistake about it, church, we need to pull back. We need to pull back, not just physically, though, but mentally, wholeheartedly. And spiritually, right? If we just pull back, right, we, we pull up our bootstraps and, and pretend not to retaliate. We're just playing the game, right? We're just going along with this playing Christian. We're not really re- pulling back in our heart. It will fester, right? It will fester in our hearts. It will come out another way. One way or another it will come out. Remember David's son, Absalom? Perfect example how this, this deadly spirit of vengeance grows, and it grows until it comes to fruition. So we have two of David's son, Amnon and Absalom. Amnon rapes Tamar, Absalom's sister. He leaves her there, disgraced, 
Absalom nurses his hate for a long time for what he did. He lives with this hate. He lives with it in his heart for like two years. But eventually, what happened? He got Amnon killed. He looked like he pulled back, right? If somebody was there, it looked like he pulled back. The truth is, a spirit of vengeance can dwell in our heart for a very long time. That's why we need each other as a church. We need each other to counsel one another, to bear each other's burdens, right? God uses each other. We use, he uses us to encourage one another to do the right thing. Think about Abigail in the Old Testament, Nabal's wife great example of how God uses others to get back on track. David was about to bring wrath. He was about to bring wrath on Nabal. Abigail spoke to him, though, gave him food, gave him wine, pleaded with him not to do it. Don't do it, David. The Lord has given you promises. You are a great, mighty king. Do you really want this on your conscience? David took her advice and never retaliated. He knew he had no biblical warrant to slay Nabal. Repay no one evil for evil, church. Never avenge yourself. No one. Never. So what do we do now? We pull back. Is that all we do? We wait for our enemy to flee? Right? This is what James says in James 4, 7, right? Doesn't he say resist the devil who will flee from you? And we know behind all the evil, Satan himself is the one we fight against. Right? We don't fight against flesh, but uh, against the rulers and authorities of the unseen world. No, we're not called to mere passivity. We're not. My cat can do that, right? Animals can flee and hide. We're living sacrifices. We can live peaceable with all, including our enemies. We are called by God to turn the world upside down by overcoming evil with good. We died with Christ to live in Christ. Our newness of life is purposeful, right? There's a purpose for it. We are called to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, even when our enemy attacks, right? We don't press the pause button there, right? An enemy attacks, even when his enemy attacks. I think God wants to do more than just pull back, for us to pull back and do nothing. Remember what kind of love we have? Verse 9 told us it's genuine, it's sincere, it's not hypocritical. It's agape love, right? That's selfless, unconditional love. And that love takes action. It takes action. So our next point is in reference to our preparation for action now. The second thing we do when attacked by the enemy is we examine ourselves. Point two, living sacrifices, seeking peace, ought to examine themselves when their enemy attacks. See that E there? That's the E in the peace acronym. Notice 17B and 19A of our text. Verse 17 says this, but give thought to do what's honorable in the sight of all. And then in 19, we see beloved, that we're beloved right there, right? So are we to hurt our enemy? We feel that vengeful spirit creeping up on us. We pulled back. We pulled back without any retaliation. Now we ought to think straight 
Think biblically. For the Bible says in 1 Timothy 1.7, God has given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Also can be translated a sound mind. A mind that continues to be renewed, to use the Romans 12 language, 12.1. Dr. Jerry Bridges, uh, commenting on the importance of thinking biblically before acting, states this. Our minds are greenhouses where unlawful thoughts, once planted, are nurtured and watered before being transplanted into the real world of unlawful actions. These actions are savored in the mind long before they are enjoyed in reality. The thought life, then, is our first line of defense in the battle of self-control. So we stop and think before our next move when we are hurt, when we're attacked. And how awesome is this word here, beloved, at this point, right? This word that we come across in the beginning of verse 19, it can easily be skipped over, easily. But we should know by now, at NBC, every word in the Bible is important, right? Every jot and tittle. Don Carson, commenting on this word, beloved, in New Testament, states this. Beloved means friends clearly loved by God. In the New Testament, the use of the word beloved implies more than human affection. It suggests an esteem for others that comes from recognizing their worth as children of God. So Paul understood how difficult this exhortation is, right? He understood that to not respond with hostility to our enemies. So he reminds us here who we are. We are loved by God. Co-heirs with our big brother, Jesus. He reminds us, as he did in Romans 12.1, that the commands are not given to the natural man, the one who has experienced, but the one who has experienced the mercies of God. Paul's encouraging us this morning, guys, with a pastoral spirit here, to remember we're not part of the world who celebrates that, that vengeful spirit as we saw in a video clip this morning. No, as our second point demonstrates, we, and as we have demonstrated earlier with the music, right, we are to, we, we are to examine who we are. We are those who sing the goodness of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when... When we get punched in the face, we turn the other cheek and work on renewing our transformed mind because living sacrifices seeking peace are to examine themselves when their enemy attacks. So let's examine ourselves. Let's give thought to what's good and true. What do we know about ourselves as Christians? What have we learned from chapters 1 through 11 so far? What is true about ourselves that would stop us from retaliating? First off, we need to remember as we pull back, getting attacked by, for our faith, that verse 3 is, our, is, our, is the same chapter. This verse here in 3 is in the same chapter that states that we ought not to think of ourselves more highly. Than we ought to, uh, highly than we ought to think. We need to humble ourselves and recognize that even our gifts, the gifts that we have that we learned about, couple weeks ago those have been given to us for ministry right they're exactly that 
They're gifts. They're gifts from God. We didn't conjure them up, right? They're gifts from God. We did nothing to earn them. We have nothing in us that is worth anything apart from God's grace. As we learn in Romans 1, chapters 1 all the way to 3, we are totally depraved. We were totally depraved. Amen? If we're Christians, we're totally depraved. Before God adopted us, we were worthless, the Bible says, disobedient, enslaved, haters of God. That's what the Word of God says about you if you're an unbeliever. Stay tuned because there's so much hope this morning in this text. But God saved us. And God can save you. God saved us. Amen? Hallelujah! God saved us. We were wretched and now we become declared righteous in God's sight, not because of anything we have done, but because of Christ. As 1 Corinthians 6 says, we are not our own. Tell me we don't have to think about that, remind ourselves of that when somebody's attacking us. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. And that price was what? Who? Jesus, his life, right? His life. Church, how could we get defensive, lift our heads up high, stick out our chest, demanding people to honor us when our Lord, our Master, the suffering servant himself, was spit on, he was tortured in obedience to God. We can think like the world, we cannot think like the world does that we deserve better. We deserve better than this. How dare you insult me like that? How could you betray me after all I've done? Don't you know who you're talking to? Don't you dare respect, disrespect me. Don't you even think about talking to me like that. You can't tell me how to live my life. Me, me, me. How about Christ, Christ, Christ? How about this truth, family? How about after being betrayed, pull back, remind yourself of this. The law of the spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. We should have just sang that as a church, right? We know that. <laughs> we as a church and individually, as a church and individually, are free only because we have been redeemed by God's gracious hand, right? And he should have brought vengeance on us. He should have brought vengeance on me. I know that. I didn't seek him. You didn't seek him. We didn't fear him. We cursed him over and over again. We learned early on in our Roman study that he commanded us to have this certain righteousness. Remember that? That we failed to meet. But in his mercy, he chose to save us. He chose to save us, change our heart, give us this righteousness that we were commanded to have. He gave it to us as a gift. And he did it through our faith. But wait a second. Even our faith was a gift. So he gets all the glory, right? I feel like I have been wrong. This is our heart sometimes, right? I feel like I've been wrong. I need to take justice in my hands. You don't understand. Really? You need to repent. I need to repent. This is one of those times where I wish there was a mirror right in front of me as I'm preaching, right? This is convicting. We need to repent from this self-centeredness. We also know God created us for a reason, right? A purpose. We are vessels 
He, he made us vessels of mercy, but we are vessels, all right, but we are vessels for what? What are we vessels for? For honorable use. We are here in order to make known the riches of His glory, as Romans 9, 23 states. What better way to cry out and sing holy forever, our holy God. We pull back, we examine ourselves. We do not repay evil for evil, but instead we leave it to God. We let God be God. Sacrificial love grounded in the gospel. It's grounded in the gospel. We seek peace with everyone, including our enemies, for blessed are the peacemakers. The third thing we do when attacked by the enemy, third step here is to accept the sovereign judgment of God. Point three says this. Living sacrifices, seeking peace, ought to accept God's sovereign judgment when their enemy attacks. So notice verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So we practice non-retaliation. We think rightly before we do anything, and now we see Paul coming back with this word vengeance. This is very important, church. This takes care of that false teaching in the church, mostly coming from liberal or progressive Christians that teach God is love. And that's the end of the story, right? That's his only attribute. He's love. These are the people that call the atonement, the atonement, cosmic child abuse. God the Father would never do such a violent and atrocious thing to his son. This is what they say. No, God is loving. But his love, his love is a holy love, right? A, a, a just love, an eternal love, an eternal love that abhors evil, that hates evil. It's written in Scripture, right in this word of God, it is written in Scripture, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Church, vengeance is a good thing, right? It's not a bad thing. The word vengeance, it's a good thing by itself. It's connected to justice. It's connected to goodness. But it is vengeance. This vengeance is God's business, right? It's not ours. Why isn't it ours? Because we fall short of perfect justice. We, as Romans 2 taught us, we learned in Romans 2, right, that we are always accusing one another. We are biased judges. But God judges perfectly. Perfectly. Our personal judgment, it's filled with, with all these this human emotions, vindictiveness, but not God. I love what the late Dr. R.C. Sproul says when commenting on this verse. He says, when God brings vengeance... He brings it perfectly. His justice never punishes more severely than the sin. If vengeance were left to us, we would never be satisfied unless we could inflict more pain than the crime deserves. God never does that. I praise God that he proclaims with his authority Vengeance is mine, right? We've got to give it to God to take that vengeance. Remember Paul said about God's wrath? We saw the word wrath before chapter 2, verse 5. Because of your hard and impenitent heart, 
you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's judgment, his righteous judgment, will be revealed. John the Beloved, or maybe we should use his other nickname, Son of Thunder, when, uh, when, 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 when he uses, when reading these words from Revelation, John wrote this, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of the anger, of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Church, living sacrifices, seeking peace, ought to accept God's sovereign judgment when the enemy attacks. We have a righteous judge. What does God remind us here? It's not our job, right? It's not our job to carry out this vengeance. Pastor Chris explained this to us last Sunday, and we're learning more about it this week in Romans 13. That there are ways that God carries out his judgment. Do not think we're walking through these practical steps on how to respond to evil. Don't think that I'm condoning uh, passivism. Paul's not saying we don't defend our homes, right? Our country. God uses means for that. One of them is the government. For the government's job is to serve, to punish evil, to reward good. But even when we seek justice on God's timing in his way, even when we do that, we must not have a vengeful disposition, right? Remember the first point. Do not, never. Vengeance is his. So we ought not to, we got to be very careful here with our text this morning. Although it could drive us to seek peace, pour out our love on our enemies, that's what we need to do, right? But we need to take heart and be comforted that, uh, that justice will be served. As a point indicates, when we're attacked by our enemy, we need to accept God's sovereign judgment. But here's the glory of the gospel, church. We can seek peace with our enemy. We can do all uh, we can to obey God when attacked. And remember, verse 18 indicates peace might not come. We saw that earlier, right? If possible. Reconciliation might not be one of the results of our love. But our passage also says, as much as it depends on us. Remember I said that? As much as it depends on us. We will see in our next point, when our action is after, our action is after we're spiritual, doing all that spiritual preparing and renewing our minds, we will see that we need to consider that when someone hurts us for, for, for years, maybe decades, right? We go that route. We use what God has uh, stored up, the government and the police, the legal action, and we never get it, right? For years, decades. We're trying to go the right way, but we never get it. We need to trust that God will do what is right. We can do that as Christians, right? That's a blessing for us. The unbeliever doesn't have that. There's no justice if there's no justice here, but we know that God will do what is right. And that sin, here's what's amazing, that sin, that evil, will be taken care of, either by God or at the cross, right? At the cross. Why is there no condemnation for us anymore? Because Christ was punished in our place. Our enemy's evil action will be judged either by God himself or at the cross, meaning they, they, they will 
experience salvation, right? Wow. In the end, we don't know what the results will be. We don't know that God, we know God uses means to bring out his purpose, although the gospel is the power of God and it's a salvation, right? It's sufficient. He uses our faithful response to evil at times, at times, to bring people to him. This could be part of our motivation as we take our uh, fourth step, which is to seek, our fourth step to seek peace with our enemy. So let's consider the fourth step. The fourth step, the fourth point in the sermon. What do we do now? When attacked by the enemy, our fourth step is to act in love by serving their needs. That's what we're going to do, but the, the point is contribute to their needs when your enemy attacks. That's the C, right, in the peace. Contribute to their needs when your enemy attacks. This is our call. You see, now there's some positives here. Now we, we, we have to call, we're called to put love into action. Let's notice verse 18 and 20. Verses 18, if possible, so far it depends on you, live peaceable with all. And then verse 20 we see, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. This quote is from Proverbs 25, 21 through 22. If the enemy is hungry, the injured person should give him something to eat. He should give him something to drink if he's thirsty, right? In other words, he should treat the enemy as Elisha did when the Aramean army was coming towards him. God blinded them at Elisha's request. Then Elisha, Elisha led them to the city of Samaria. When they came upon the city, Elisha prayed for God to open their eyes. When they opened their eyes, they realized they were in Samaria. The king of Israel at that time asked Elisha, kill them, right? Should we kill them? Should we kill these guys? Now's the chance. Elisha replied, do we kill prisoners of war? No, give them food and drink. Send them home again to their master. The Arameans were at war with Israel, who were no doubt their enemies, but that night they had a great feast. They had a great feast that night, and they were sent back home. Elisha didn't just show mercy, as David did with Saul, when he spared Saul's life twice, right? No, Elisha went beyond non-retaliation, right? And he fed the enemy. This is exactly what 1 Thessalonians is talking about in chapter 5, 15, verse 15, when Paul says this, see that no man, I mean, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another, to everyone. Don't pay evil, but seek good. This command to contribute to the needs of our enemy with loving good deeds should make more sense to us now, right? Now that we understand what we were reminded of from chapters 1 all the way to 11. For without chapters 1 through 11, all those chapters, all that theology, all that glorious truth, we have no power to carry this out. We have no power to carry out anything in chapter 12 and all those practical, exhorta practical exhortations that we will be going through in the future. To love our enemy? Are you kidding me? There's no way we'd be able to do that. As our theme indicates, our seeking peace to our enemies is grounded in the gospel. 
We need to be careful here. Doing everything we can do to seek peace with our enemy does not mean that we compromise truth. All right? At this point, I mean, we're hearing all this love. We, gotta, we can't retaliate. We just, let's just agree with them, right? Whatever they say, no. The same Bible that tells us who we are in Christ and commands us not to take vengeance, take that vengeance upon ourselves, it tells us to love our enemies. It also tells us in the book of Acts, chapter 5, we must obey God rather than men. Paul tells the church at Colossae, who are in the midst of this worldly thinking and leaders who are twisting scripture to suit their own traditions, he said, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. No, we seek peace. But at the same time, we continue to bow to the Prince of Peace, our Lord Jesus Christ, at the same time, right? Also, James, Jesus' bold little brother, tells us at the end of the third chapter of his book that the wisdom that's from above, that we live in, it's first pure. Then it's peaceable. Amen? As Scripture tells us, we are I'm sorry, now the scripture tells us, but today, during this time, what we're going through, we hear a lot about peace, peace, right? Peace, peace. Let's be one. Let's unite, America. Yeah? On what terms? On what terms? This principle goes all the way, all the way back to, to the church, too, right? The church family. The church relationships as well. We know this because we see in Scripture that Paul, the Apostle Paul, even rebukes Peter in Antioch when Peter was compromising truth, trying to be peaceable with the Jewish Christians, but at the same time denying gospel unity. We cannot deny Christ for the sake of peace. For if we do deny Christ, what did Jesus say about that? If we deny him, he will deny us for the Heavenly Father in heaven. So we contribute to the needs of our enemies, right? We feed them. We help them financially. We do what we have to do to make their lives on earth more comfortable. That's really what the food and drink entails there in the passage. That's at the heart of it. Do what's right to help them, make them attend to their needs. It means doing good of like any kind. But we do it through a gospel-centered helping hand. How can you not think of Samaritan's Purse, right? Ministries like that. Pregnancy Care Center, many more. Notice at the end of verse 20. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. What is that about? (laughs) Heap burning coals on his head. Dr. Thomas Schreiner commenting on this uh, passage, this phrase here says, Our enemies will experience burning shame and remorse for their despicable behavior towards Christians when they see Christians still return evil for good. And hopefully, this will provoke them to repentance. I heard a powerful testimony while watching a documentary this past week with Amy. It was about a man who runs a ministry called All Things Possible. His name's Victor Marks. Powerful testimony. This man had things done to him as a kid that were so horrendous that I couldn't even word it in a way that would be proper to discuss this morning. But I will tell you this. He was abused over and over again by his father, his stepfather. 
And because of it, he experienced intense trauma that caused multiple breakdowns. But one day, God saved him, Victor Marks. And years after, as he experienced that love of Christ, that forgiveness of God, he looked his stepfather up. After spending years in therapy for what the man did to him, he called him up. And he asked him if he could take him out for a cup of coffee. Only agape love can do this. Come to find out, stepfather was very sick. He was told he only had months to live. Victor Marks visited this lonely, broken, evil man regularly at his deathbed, right? Speaking kind words to him, caring for him, and most importantly, reading the Bible over him after many days of denying God's word, but still allowing him to come by and visit. His stepfather came to Christ. Powerful, powerful scene. When Victor Marx was talking about it, he says, he walked into the hospital like he did every morning. He comes in one morning, and the stepfather said to the nurse, he said to the nurse, this is my son, and I'm proud of him. He's a preacher man. The only one from us. He has been trying to save my soul. But what he doesn't know is I gave my life to the Lord last night. Praise the Lord. Heaping coals on the head. Never repay evil for evil. If possible, be at peace with all. Just imagine the conviction of this stepfather. He tortured his son for years, and now he finds himself deathly ill and the one person who should hate him contributes to his needs and he labors to bring him peace with God. As I said earlier, vengeance is the Lord's, but justice could be demonstrated on the cross as Christ takes the place of enemies. Dr. Everett Harrison states it this way, there's no suggestion that the wrath of God will be visiting on the wrongdoer immediately. On the contrary, that wrath is a last resort. For the immediate future lies the possibility that the one who has perpetrated the wrong will have a change of heart and will be convicted of his sin and won over by the refusal of the Christian to retaliate. It's not always going to work that out that way, though, right? Sometimes the heaping coals there continue to keep that, that heart hard. But we can have hope. We can have confidence that when we're grounded in the gospel and seek peace with everyone, including our enemies, God will do what is right. And the last point, after all this is completed, right, you have displayed the genuine love that has been bestowed on you from God. Your sacrificial love, grounded in the gospel, sought peace with your enemy, and you can say, praise the Lord that his name has been magnified, his power has been on display, the kingdom of God has been strengthened, and as the last point states, evil is defeated by love when the enemies attack. That's the result. Evil is defeated by love when the enemies attack. Notice verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with 
good. We come to our last point. First, acknowledging that only God can overcome evil, and he chooses at times to do it through his church, individually and as a body. If we learn anything this morning, it's that although God sovereignly, he is sovereign, right, we are responsible. We are responsible. God has left us in a wicked, rebellious, hateful, fallen world, but we ought not to be afraid. We are on a mission, right? We're on a mission. We are living sacrifices. We are out to seek peace in spite of all the chaos, and by doing so, we will, by God's sovereign, powerful hand, overcome evil with good. William Hendrickson, commenting on this last, last uh, verse of our text, gives a vital reminder. He says, this is the victorious life. But the victory cannot be obtained by human effort or exertion, but only by faith. It is given to all those and only to those. It's given to all those and only to those. Having been justified by faith on the basis of Christ's vicarious sacrifice derive all their power from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Church, this chapter 12 started off by reminding us that, that because of the mercies of God, because of all those powerful, lofty theological truths about who God is and what he's doing in us and through us, our only reasonable response is to give ourselves to him, right? Our whole selves, and by giving ourselves to him, we are giving our lives to others. This has been God's plan from the beginning, right? From the beginning of time. God blesses some in order to bless others. Church, I have two, two things, two testimonies, two things to discuss here on a personal level. Yes, this passage here, I have fallen short. This call to, to, to seek peace with everyone, including my enemies, I have fallen short at times. I have retaliated over the years, even as a Christian at times. And I'm ashamed of that. But God is so gracious. And his word sets us free. One time, in the context of living out my love for Christ in front of some unbelievers that I'm really close to, I was told by them to shut it down. Right? Shut it down. They didn't want to hear about God in the Bible anymore. Quit talking about God. And I reacted sinfully, harsh words, as I was justifying myself, thinking that uh, I'm defending my Lord. But we all know, right, that right, when that righteous anger turns into sin. Anyway, the next day, I'm reading the Bible. Early in the morning, and this passage was screaming at me in a convicting way. And I repented by God's grace with tears before my Lord, and by God's loving power, I was able to apologize to the person. Church, our Lord redeems. I'm thinking of Genesis 50, 20. I meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. But the truth is, I have also been victorious in this area at times. Many times, I've seen God work through me. I've been yelled at, slandered, and by God's grace, the first thing that usually pops in my head is how much I deserve God's wrath. God has been real gracious to me at times. 
pushing back at me, and I just think about the gospel. Who am I to bring vengeance on this person? And I have seen the heaping coals on the people. They have convict. They were convicted, right? After treating me that way, I love them back. They're convicted. And then they come, and they apologize to me. One time, this happened, and there was a witness there who saw me react in this loving manner at work. He said, how can you allow someone to talk to you like that? How can you let somebody treat you that way? I brought this person to my office door where I have a magnet on the door that Danielle actually got me years back as a present. It says uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, I'm a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Gave me an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. So I do have a history with this passage. A lot of you guys probably do, right? More ways than one. And I hope and pray that we as a church can learn to live this out more consistently, not for our honor, our good, but for God's glory. So, church, all those who are watching, sacrificial love grounded in the gospel. We'll seek peace with everyone, including our enemies. For blessed are the peacemakers. Remember the video in the beginning? I think we could redeem it now. I think we could say this if our enemy was on the other side of the telephone. I don't know what you want from me. I'm not sure I have what you're looking for. Or if I can give it to you. But what I do have are some unique God-given skills that I acquired since the Holy Spirit came upon me. Spiritual gifts and unique abilities that make me a blessing for people like you. If you continue to curse me and attack me, I will seek you. I will hunt you down. But I will hunt you down with love, with patience, with kindness, and I will pay you back by tending to your needs. And most importantly, you will not be able to contain me from speaking to you the gracious and powerful message of the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, that we've been blessed to have your word as we are in this world. And we know, God, there's so much temptation, but we thank you that you have saved us, that you have placed your spirit in us, God. Help us, Father. Help us by the power of your spirit, Lord. Help us obey you. Help us obey this text. Help us do these steps, Lord, for your glory, God, and our joy.